So we were planning on, uh, well, how many are excited to start our fast tomorrow? <laughs> we got like four people, praise God. Um, we strategically planned this fast after my birthday so I can gorge myself uh, today. Um, but I'm going to have my wife come up and we're just going to share some practicals and just kind of set the tone and the heart for our upcoming fast. So those are our dates there, January 7th through the 13th. Um, There's two points. One is I just want to, as we're talking about this 7th through the 13th, our fast, I just want to encourage you that we're going to probably have four to five times throughout the year that is a community we're fasting for a week together. Um, So if you're new to fasting, we're just going to give you a little mini introduction. We actually don't have time for a full teaching. Um, But what I want to say is if you're not new to fasting and if you're acquainted with fasting, if you're like, oh my gosh, we're only fasting for a week, Guess what? You can start with us, and then you can continue beyond the week. You can keep going <laughs> to 21 or 40 days if you so desire. Um, but we, we want it more to be a rhythm of our church and of our family, not just one time. in the. Be- Daryl and I actually joke a little bit, too. It's like um, across the body of Christ, different friends that like definitely are not prayer movement friendly, they'll like start the year and be like, I'm going to bring in the new year, like worshiping and praying. And we're like, that's cool to bring in the new year that way. Why don't you continue through the new year that way? <laughs> like, you know, we... <laughs> It's almost like we, do, we set a course at the beginning, but we don't have a mindset for continuing that throughout the new year. So this is what we want to encourage. Two things. If you're new to fasting, I just want to say to you, don't cancel it out immediately. Don't be like, oh, I'm not going without food or I'm not going to abstain for something. This is what I said. We don't have time to theologically go through this today, but this is what I want you to know. If you read your Bible, it does not say if you fast. It says when you fast. Because there's the understanding that as the disciples of Jesus Christ, it is part of the healthy rhythm of being a disciple. It is one of the tools. Just like he's given us prayer to have fellowship and communion with God, uh, fasting is one of those tools that sensitizes us. And so if you're kind of, let's be honest, when it comes to spiritual things, we as people kind of want a, a recipe or an equation for why it works or how it works. You're not going to get that with prayer and with fasting because it is a spiritual dynamic. So this is what I'm going to say to you. Fasting deals with the issue of your appetites. And so if you need an increased appetite for God, and if you are living and breathing, you do need. So there's your word for the new year. You need an increased appetite for God. Fasting is a tool to enlarge the capacity and the desire of your heart for more of God. And if you're kind of like, well, I don't get it. Why do I have to go without a Big Mac to get that? Guess what? It's called making space. If you want to bring something new into your home, oftentimes you need to remove something to make place for it. So what you're doing is you're reprioritizing and you're recategorizing what you have desire for. A very helpful thing is when you desire a piece of fudge or you desire a hot fudge sundae and you begin to go, this fasting stinks, I'm bailing. No one will know anyway. No, no one will know. But when you desire that, I'm going to give you a tool here. If you say to God, God, I desire you more than an ice cream sundae. All of a sudden, it puts it all in perspective. And guess what? If you don't desire him more than an ice cream sundae, that, no, there's no shame in that game. You know what I want you to say? I want you to say, God, I desire to long for you more. Bring my heart to a place where I desire you more than an ice cream sundae. 
if it's Chipotle, whatever is like your thing, right? So this is what I want to say to you. Fasting, if you're going to fast or go without something during this week, but you're actually not going to position yourself in a place of increased prayer, all you're doing is a diet, really. There, there really is not going to be any amount of, so this is what I want to say to you. If you don't pray at all, I, I want to challenge you, set aside 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes a day. If you, if you in the evenings zone out to Netflix or whatever the thing is in this generation, I think that's what people do, Netflix. I don't know if people do TV as much anymore. Um, if that's your thing, I want to encourage you, just go without one of your episodes and substitute it with reading the word and praying. What we're doing is we're making space for God to encounter us. And so jump in in this fast, and this is what I want to say, not all fasting has to look the same. Yes, food is something that touches the area of our appetites and desires, but I want to say to you, time is essential. If there's something that is robbing you of your time, of positioning yourself before God, I encourage you to fast that thing as well. And so this is what I want to say, if you don't frequent the prayer room, this would be a great week. This would be, I, I love all the beautiful people that are like, I don't have time. Seriously, you have time to go out and get drinks with your friend. You have time to go out to dinner. You have time to go to the gym. Somehow we make time for our social life. So I want to encourage you during the fast this week, make time to be in the posture of the place of prayer. The prayer room is open in the mornings. We have a 7 a.m. set. And in the evenings, we have a 7 p.m. set. The only evening there is not a set is on Wednesday evenings because there's small groups that meet there. So you could hit it in the morning or the evening. Um, and so we'll be fasting this week. You should jump in. I guarantee, I'm going to challenge you. If you fast... If you fast this week with sincerity before God, I don't care what it looks like, your life will be changed. Your life will be changed. Wow. So good. So good. I may have um, some alternative motives when it comes to this fast. <laughs> Shedding some of the... I would, I, would, I would say holiday weight, but um, it's kind of stuck around for some time. But no, um, thank you so much, honey. Uh, you know, I, on a serious note, um, apart from, you know, letting Jesus stir your affections for him, letting Jesus deepen your love, you know, for Jesus, apart from that, fasting is a bit arduous. It's a bit, um, it, it seems almost like work, right? Like some kind of discipline, and um, I'm so glad that we're actually starting off with a new series uh, titled uh, the, A New Year with New Affections, or um, New Year, New Affections, I think is a more appropriate title of the uh, sermon series. Next three Sundays, we'll be, we'll be talking about just that, because my hopes, you know, for my fast anyways, personally, is that I would fall for Jesus, meaning I would love Jesus more with all in who all that I am, meaning my mind, my soul, my strength. Meaning, I, I just want to kind of lose myself these next couple of days as I'm fasting, believing that the Lord will rekindle affections in my heart. He'll, he'll um, maybe 
open my eyes and my heart to some new affections that may, I may have not known existed, meaning there might be some things in my relationship with the Lord that I've never really touched upon, love that I never knew was there, a sensitivity of heart that I never knew I had. And I'm believing that that's what's going to come out of this fast for us, is that our affections for Jesus would be stirred, they would be deepened this year, 2019. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. I want you to turn with me real quickly to Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Here are some soothing and comforting words from Jesus um, this morning. It should warm your heart. He said this, I came to uh, cast fire on the earth and would that it were already be kindled. Of course, you know I'm kidding, right? I mean, these are anything but comforting. You know, these are somewhat startling, shocking words from Jesus. You know, scholars have interpreted Jesus' words here in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, differently throughout time. Um, Although there are massive differences in kind of their views and interpretation, excuse me, of the text, they all agree that it would be hard to actually pinpoint precisely what was running through the mind of Jesus when he said this. It's interesting that even though that exists in, in across the board in, in, in scholarly thinking, they would say, hey, it's, it's really hard to nail to the wall what Jesus means here and what was in his heart and mind here. Although that exists, some scholars have taken a stab at trying to interpret Jesus here. And uh, some would say that the Old Testament, um, when it references the fire, uh, is, uh, s- symbolizes God's judgment. So When Jesus says, uh, I've come to cast fire on the earth, they believe that he's referring to the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And and others would relate this to the Holy Spirit. Remember, if if you're not um, privy to the story, John the Baptist said that when Jesus comes, this one who is greater than him, I'm actually citing Luke chapter 3, verse 16, that, that this Messiah would come baptizing his people in what? The Holy Spirit in fire. So they, they, they actually believe that this is actually a reference to Jesus' ministry. And so others would say that Jesus was referring to what he was about ready to suffer on the cross. That he actually had like this eagerness within him to complete and fulfill uh, the cross. Now, that's amazing in and of itself, but it seems kind of, you know... I don't know, it seems a little bit far-fetched seeing that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he kind of like, you know, wrestled with the will of God. You know, he's like, Lord, if, if this cup could pass from me, so let it be. But nevertheless, your will be done. And so I don't know if I can necessarily just rely on the fact that Jesus was eager, you know, to, 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 to die on the cross and to be beaten and killed. Um, but others would say that when Jesus used the word, how I wish it were already kindled, He's expressing his desire for the fulfillment, the task of the cross, and the completion of it. Um, While others, amongst um, those who are scholars and, um, you know, theologically sound, would say that Jesus was referring to the power of God in the earth. Uh, Essentially, they take Jesus to mean that the same power that was displayed in his ministry... In his life, and the same power that we see uh, released in the book of Acts and continues all the way through the New Testament is the fire in which he's referring to now here in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Um, Whatever the case, it is clear that Jesus has a mission, right? I mean, his words, I've come to set 
the earth on or cast fire upon the earth. I mean, he's got a mission and he also has a desire in Jesus's heart and mind. At this point in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, he wishes that this fire would already be somewhat kindled or smoldering in the hearts of people, I imagine. So let me just explain briefly why I don't believe. And this is important because chapter 12 of the Gospel of Luke has within it um, end time you know, kind of meaning, um, meaning it, it, Jesus talks about the end times. And so it's, it's easy to just quickly relate or kind of connect what he's saying in Luke chapter 12, verse 49 to that kind of end time feel of the text. But let me just interject one little thought for us this morning on why I don't think that when Jesus uses the word fire that he is referencing judgment or uh, 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 condemnation or the wrath of God. Uh, meaning, I don't believe Jesus wants a sequel to Sodom and Gomorrah here. Um, when, when Jesus said in John 3.17 that he did not come to what? Condemn the world, but to save it. So there's a conflict of interest here, really. I mean, you can't really reconcile the two. It's either that Jesus came in his ministry to condemn it and to uh, reveal the wrath of God against the sins of humanity or he's come to seek the lost and save people who need to be saved. And so I, I kind of lean towards the latter that Jesus is not referencing a judgment or a condemnation of people but he is talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. If the fire of God had anything to do with the condemnation or the wrath of God, then how could we reconcile John 3.17 to the mission and the ministry of Jesus? Matter of fact, we also see no sign of this in Jesus' earthly ministry. We don't see any sign of him being condemning and judgmental. You know, uh, he was often friendly with those who were sinners and who the church perceived as kind of like worldly and carnal. Matter of fact, it probably would have been better in some cases for Jesus to be a little bit more judgmental towards the world because the religious of his days were so against him and so who is this friend of sinners, you know, where he's hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, you know, and they're, they're looking at him like, who is this guy? I mean, he, I guess what I'm trying to say is Jesus would have benefited greatly to just be a little bit more judgmental towards those who are worldly and carnal. But he wasn't. So that's another point that we can, you know, kind of refer to when it comes to what kind of fire. Now, for some of you, you probably think, well, what is, what is, what are you, where are you going with this? Well, I'm trying to just define really what the fire is that Jesus is referencing here in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Is that okay? All right. Now something, again, just referring to the mission and the ministry of Jesus, we can bank on because, well, John the Baptist actually said, quoting Matthew 3.11, he said this, John the Baptist here, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I. And his sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will what? Baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. Now that, that really... There's some similarities there that we can latch on to, right? John the Baptist makes this claim of Jesus. 
There's one who is greater than me. He is coming and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. So baptism with water, the Holy Spirit in fire are somewhat of a uh, distinctions and differences between the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus. Is, am I right? You know, John makes those distinctions. He points out to those, those differences within the text. And the contrast between these types of baptisms of both water in John's ministry and the Holy Spirit and fire of Jesus' ministry should leave us this morning, I believe, having no doubts that Jesus' ministry would be where real spiritual renewal would be found. Thus, further concluding the fire in which Jesus is referencing in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, is the power of the Holy Spirit. So if that's the case, then we can solely rely and be confident that Jesus wants to set us on fire. Of course, he's not talking about the earth. He's talking about you and I who dwell on the earth. Oh, that I wish the fire of God was burning in the hearts of man. Another fact here that we can point to in defining what fire is. In Acts chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of fire. You know, there on the day of Pentecost, what, 100, 125 men and women of God gathered in the upper room, praying and seeking God. And suddenly, a rushing wind comes into the room. And Luke explains what seemed to be tongues of what? Fire resting upon that 125. So that would, for me, conclude that the spirit of renewal is closely linked to the fire of God that Jesus references in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. Now, understanding the context of Luke chapter 12, verse 49, um, in further sussing out the meaning, and I think all of this is important, and if you could hold on with me for a little bit, as we kind of trudge and I explain myself, because you could probably go back, you know, tomorrow or the next day and look at this text and be like, what was Daryl talking about? Like, I read the chapter, that's not what it's about. I think if scholars are a bit confused about verse 49, then the playing field's kind of wide, friends. I mean, I'm not trying to mince words or put words in Jesus' mouth, but if brighter men than me cannot figure out what was in the heart of Jesus, I think it gives us a little bit of license to be creative. But in addition to... What perplexed scholars, the one thing in which they can also agree on is that Jesus actually gives the context of verse 49 of chapter 12, the book Gospel of Luke, back in verse 35 of chapter 12 in the Gospel of Luke. And this is what Jesus says, stay dressed for action, keep your lamps burning. Oh, whew. now this, this really bears some similarities, doesn't it? It's got all the feel of fire and burning being consumed. Jesus is not just 
giving us a little instruction and recommending that we may or we might want to keep our lamps burning. He's saying, keep them burning. Be dressed for action. He is not suggesting this, friends. He is recommending it. He is commanding it from his disciples. Stress, I'm sorry, stay dressed for action. This type of language, uh, the New Testament is filled with this kind of language. I've, I've, through the years, boiled uh, some New Testament references like this in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, to what I have coined or deemed as uh, non-negotiable terms and uh, non-conditional commands. Now, hear me, I'm not talking about like the law of Moses, right? I'm, those, I'm not talking about those kind of commands. I'm just talking about things in our life that we knowingly or unknowingly can't get around, meaning we can't find a shortcut around it. We can't get over it. We can't bury, you know, dig a hole in the ground and go under it. There's just things in our life that are bound to happen. Now, let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Paul says this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will what? Reap bountifully. Now, there's definitely some terms within 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Is there not? There's Definitely some conditions and some commands. I mean, if you read the previous verses of the chapter and even some of the verses that come after verse 6, you find that, that Paul is commanding generosity from the people of God. So this is where I get the idea, and this is what I've coined over the years in my life, as non-negotiable terms and non-conditional commands. They're not necessarily things that God will force you to do. But their requirements, they're there. In one way or another, your life, my life, will be affected on how we live out. Meaning, the, the, the effect is if we sow sparingly, what's the effect? We reap sparingly. If we sow bountifully, we reap bountifully. It's, there's just, you, you can't get around. Our lives are somewhat hedged in by these terms and these commands. And, we, and we, we, we don't have to go there. We can ignore them. We can pretend it doesn't exist in Scripture, especially the New Testament. Like, commands were just for the Old Testament. But they're there, and our lives will be affected by them. You know, the idea that Paul susses out within 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is this. You get what you put in. You, you get what you put in. If you put in the ground apple seeds, you're not going to get grapes. You're going to what? Talk to me. You're going to get what? Apples. Again, we can choose to ignore these terms. We can pretend as though they don't exist. But our lives are somewhat hedged in by them. And so the specifics of the term set by Jesus in Luke chapter 12 is simply this. Be prepared. Man, if there's a word I have for us in 2019, in the first service here, January 6th, my birthday, hallelujah. You can put the slide back up for giving. Hashtag Daryl. No, I'm just joking. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Thank you. 
But I think if there's a word for us, church, in 2019, it's be prepared. Be prepared. And I'm not talking about being prepared for some kind of event. I'm talking about being prepared for a person. I'm talking about being prepared. More so than being prepared, being filled. Now, I made an interesting connection throughout the week of study. And I couldn't shake it, and I don't know if it's necessary. I know it's a cross-reference verse to you, Luke chapter 12, verse 35, but I don't know if I can make sense of what I'm about to say right now. And I hope, I hope that the Holy Spirit rests upon my tongue right now. Um, but I, I, could, I tried so hard. I, actually, I won't even... My wife already encouraged me not to say this, so I'm not going to say it. But I, I worked really hard to not be heretical right now in this part of the sermon. I worked really hard. You have no idea. But I'm going to give an account, friends. I'm going to give an account for the things that I say up here on the stage. And I, I want to treat the Word of God. And I want to see the Word of God for what it is and not what I want it to be. Some of you need to hear that this morning. But, but it's, it's interesting, the connection I could not shake from this week was the, the, the similarities and the connections between Luke chapter 12, verse 35, and Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. If you're not familiar with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says to the uh, church in Ephesus, he says, put on, put on or dress yourself in the Holy Spirit, the armor of God. And to, to stand against the schemes of the devil. Maybe the reason for me making uh, the connection between Ephesians chapter 6 and Luke chapter 12 this morning is because I want to, us as a church to understand that staying dressed for action looks like something. It, it, it looks like Paul saying, clothe yourself. Doesn't, Paul doesn't say, hey, listen, when you go to church, your pastor's going to clothe you with the armor of God. You know? It, it doesn't say, hey, hey, go to that small group or that community group, connect, because you're going to there be clothed with the armor of God from your community group leader. Or it doesn't say, hey, listen, call mama and, and, and text her about your difficulties in life and how the devil be attacking you. No, Paul says, clothe what? yourself I got will with me friends please don't I, I, I can't pull a rabbit out of my hat I, 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 I you know I, I don't know acrobatics I, I, I don't know how much more I can work to engage you but I need you to understand that right now you have a requirement as a disciple as a follower of Jesus to dress yourself up in the armor of God that you may withstand. Do you see? I mean, we all know and we get that the devil is not our friend. I mean, he is a roaring lion with big, massive teeth. And his objective, the thing he obsesses over day and night, is to ruin you and to ruin me. 2019. I think the best thing that we can do, starting with this fast and all throughout to Lent, 
and right into the Christmas in 2020, we just say, God, prepare me. Oh, waking up morning after morning as we're engaged in this fast. Jesus, clothe me in the armor of God. Kids cry. He's like, what's wrong with that man? He's yelling. No, I'm happy. Really, I am. <laughs> I'm sorry if that's because of me. I apologize. So Paul says, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Ain't nobody else going to do it for you, friends. Now, it's interesting also, and this may be a two-part message, so I may have to leave like midway and make it messy and then try to come back and polish it up next Sunday, so bear with me. But it's also interesting that in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul starts off with the colossal words of, therefore, be imitators of God. <laughs> Let that just sink in a little bit. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 starts off in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God. The idea here is just as children, you know, look up and mimic and copy the behavior of their earthly fathers. We as children of God look up to our heavenly father and we see things in him that we want to copy, that we want to mimic, that we want to do. And Paul starts off with the words, be imitators of God. But you know what happens in verses 3 through 17? There is a whole laundry list of things that you and I shouldn't be imitating. <laughs> I won't go there because... Well, we don't have time to really get into it, but I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just chock full of things that you and I, as believers and disciples of Christ, should have no part of, no part in. But you know what's awesome here is, is Paul closes out verses 3 through 17 and verse 18, and he says this. Do not get drunk with wine. Now, don't write it off as just Paul is, you know, you know just talking about being drunk. <laughs> you know, that, of course, I mean, you can add it to the laundry list of do's and don'ts, but don't just quickly dismiss Paul for simply saying, don't be drunk. <laughs> he follows this up by saying, for that is debauchery, and then concludes, but be filled with the Spirit. Now I imagine if, if you're here today, or let's say I struggle with alcoholism, I could say and look at this verse and say, well, that's pretty good. You know, I, I have an addiction here. And maybe I can, you know, instead of filling myself with wine and such, I can start filling myself with the Holy Spirit and that might curb my addiction. But I, I, I believe this. I believe that that that. What Paul is saying there is far more meaningful than just don't be drunk. I think Paul is concluding the words don't, or, I'm sorry, be filled with the Spirit because he knows it's the only way we can be therefore imitators of God. <laughs> like I, like I can't, do, I can't do the list 
of verses 3 through 17 if I forego the end of verse 18? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, some of our problems in life, some of the addictions we have aren't just boiled down to just, you know, we can't just deem this as just simply being the problem of being addicted or, or, or just write it off and say, well, you know, this is a struggle that's been there all my life. God has given us a means in which we can find freedom. And I believe, I just want to submit to you this morning that I believe that is found in being filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't, I can't do the first part of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. I can't begin to even fathom to imitate God with my speech, to imitate God with, um, in my sexuality, to imitate God in areas of greed and anger in my life. I can't even begin to do that if I forgo the end of verse 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know what's awesome? You know what's so good? Is that Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, this is his desire. Oh, I want to fill people with my Holy Spirit. I want to give them a fire that burns within them and controls their appetites, creates within them new affections for me. That even those with the strongest addictions could find freedom because my fire is burning in them. I just believe, I, I, I don't believe that there's any other hope apart from this. Let me stop yelling at you for a little bit. Is this, is this connecting with anybody? I just don't want another year going by where we feel so defeated. I don't feel like that is like the model of Christianity. I don't think that, that the Lord has not provided us a means to find breakthrough, to find hope, and to find freedom. I don't want to just go into 2019 feeling as though my addictions have more power than the resurrected Lamb of God. I don't, want, I don't want that for us. And I don't think Jesus wants that for us. And I think it's seen in Luke chapter 12, verse 49. I've come to cast fire on the earth. And oh, how I wish it was kindled. I pray that our hearts connect to that verse in a new way. That, that even today, in your hearts, there starts to be this burning this smoldering, maybe kindling, you know, just this slightly, slightly burning inside of you, the Holy Spirit, so that this new year can be different and that we're carving out, we're in our lives, we're, 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 we're sussing out new ways and exploring New ways to be more affectionate, to, to, to fall in love with Jesus 
in places in our thought life, in places with our body, places that we yet maybe did not discover or, or may have been oblivious to in 2018. Oh, I pray that in 2019 for all of us, we would be so aware that Jesus wants to create within us new affections for him, deepened affections for Jesus. Have you, let me, let me just close with this. Have you ever been regarded as cool? <laughs> Simply because you have a friend or a couple of friends that are cool? Anybody following me? Okay, for example, I do this in my marriage. Um, my cool factor increasingly, increasingly grows in kind of, you, you know, it, it kind of goes off the charts simply because I'm married to Bethany. It's true. No, it's true. I mean, some of you are like, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we come here not for you, but we come here for Bethany. We think she's pretty cool. And that's cool. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you for that vote of confidence. But it's true. I mean, have you ever been cool just because of the company that you keep? Do you know that the effects are similar with Jesus? We're not just talking about the cool factor, although I can say as somebody who knows sin and who knows what it's like to be in the trenches of despair and a sinful life that, yeah, no, accepting Jesus makes your life is a whole lot better and cooler. Thank you very much. But simply because we are connected to Jesus, simply because you are a follower of Jesus, there is more hope for your life than probably you can even consciously connect to this morning. There, you have the potential to defy the odds. You know, some of us may feel like we're just a statistic. We're just, we're just one of those guys. We're just one of those girls who can't break free from this, who can't get free from this. But, but simply because you are a believer, simply because you are a follower of Jesus, those things do not apply to you. You are not just a statistic. You are not just an odd. You are just, you're, you're not just an equation. You're a follower of Jesus. And I, and I happen to think the man who opened the water you know, that day for Moses, when his enemies were approaching him, I happen to believe that that same man can do things in your life that you have, even this morning, you cannot connect to. Even this morning, you cannot begin to fathom. And I, I want, I hope that hope fills your heart. I hope that 2019 for you does not look in any way like 2018. I hope you understand and, and can perceive the victory that Jesus wants to bring in your life. And let me just say this, it's probably not going to happen apart from new affections being stirred in your heart. And even with this fast, It's going to be laborsome. I mean, only what? Seven days. It's going to be laborsome apart from Jesus cultivating and stirring and rekindling new affections and appetites for him.
Friends, I don't want 2019 to look like 2018 for our church. And what I mean by that, I don't necessarily just mean this building, you know, the things that we do here. I'm, I'm talking about people. I want all of our lives to scratch the surface of the potential that we have in Jesus. Father, I pray this morning would be the start of something beautiful in our lives. God, I pray for those who for years have been struggling with certain addictions, Lord, and, and have just given up. They've just given up and given up. This is the way it's always been. It's the way it's always going to be, Father. I pray that even now a new season would start in their life. I pray, Lord, that they would this morning be connected to the man in whom they love and adore, Jesus, who defies all odds, who nothing can stand in his way, nothing can oppose him, no addiction is too powerful. I pray, Lord, that this morning, God, that they would connect and see the potential of who they are in Christ. Not who they are in themselves, but who they are in Jesus. And so, Father, start something beautiful even now. Start something glorious, Lord, in our lives, Jesus, that we would see the chains of years of bondage and addiction begin to fall off from us as we simply are obedient to saying, God created with me, created me, new affections deepen within me, new affections rekindle in my heart, affections for you, Jesus. Father, I pray that something extraordinary would happen in this year, 2019, in this church, amongst these people. You know, I just, I feel like this is a good place to pause. And I don't want to throw myself under the bus as I usually do when it comes. <laughs> but I know the power of addiction. I do. You know, um, I know how the enemy can set us up and making us feel like failures and forever, you know, just ensnared and entrapped by the claws of this addiction or that addiction or that addiction. And, you know, I, but I believe that God wants to put within us new hope to overcoming our enemies, to overcoming and giving us victory in the places that we have just lost hope. And I imagine there, there are several people amongst us this morning that, that you have lost hope in, in various areas of your life. You have just like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm always going to give into this, struggle with this. You know, I don't know if I'm always going to have this anger, if I'm always going to, uh, you know, um, be easily offended. I, you know, whatever it might be, you fill in the gap. But I just, I happen to believe that God wants to bring an end to the I don't know. And he wants to open our eyes to the potential that we have in Christ simply because we are in Christ. And so I'm going to ask Will to come up, and I'm not going to belabor this, but I want to minister to those who feel hopeless. I want to minister to those who feel trapped and ensnared in various parts of their lives where they don't know if anything's ever going to change, if anything's going to break open. Let me tell you, as someone who knows the power of addiction, it does, it can, and if you hold on, it will. And I say that sincerely. I say that sincerely. If you knew my story, if you knew the things in which God set me free from, you would never doubt 
you would never doubt that God can do it for you. And I believe that God wants to set the stage this morning for just that. And you know what? I'm not going to work hard at it. I'm simply just going to offer prayer for those who feel trapped, who feel hopeless. We don't need to go to the specifics. We don't need to go and, you know, hash out the details of what you feel trapped in. We're just going to bear our hearts before the Lord. And I believe that this morning God is going to meet us in a very sovereign, supernatural way. And I believe that even this morning could potentially be the end of years of struggle and addiction. Now I'm believing that. Can you believe it? I have faith for that. In 2019, January 6th, I have faith for that. Do you? Come on, Jesus moves upon faith. He, 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 he comes when we are filled and have faith in our hearts that he can do what we can't. Friends, he can do what you can't. Pray, guys, right now. If you have a prayer life, maybe this doesn't apply to you. If it doesn't, start to pray. Because I believe Jesus is setting the stage right now, this morning, for some uh, glorious works. Some glorious works. Can you turn up the music? It needs to be more emotional in here.